Well, good morning. Happy 4th of July and happy birthday, Marka. You know, America's not perfect and never has been, but in the history of the world, there's never been another place that was founded on the principles of Scripture. You know, founded on the principles of Scripture, and we see what it has produced. And like I said, we're not perfect, but you know, where we've been imperfect, we've tried to fix it. And we continue to do that today. And so I think Fourth of July is a wonderful time to celebrate. And in my mind, there's nothing more American than celebrating it by blowing stuff up. (laughs) And so last year, you know, I was here for the fourth, but my family wasn't here yet. And I had never been in a town like Pleasant Hill where they allowed fireworks in town like this. And that it was so broadly embraced. (laughs) Now, last year I was kind of sick during the fourth, so I didn't really do anything. But uh, I remember hearing it and thought, my people, we are, you, you can ask my family, I called and I said, oh, next year it's on like Donkey Kong. We, we are going to buy some fireworks and we are going to blow some stuff up to celebrate America. So uh, uh, it's happening tonight, right? <laughs> so happy 4th of July to all of you. A uh, few announcements again. Uh, we're still looking for volunteers to help at the Cass County Fair. If you're interested in uh, volunteering and helping, see Terry Melvin. Uh, she's got that. And... Uh, then uh, thank you to everybody. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but uh, thank you to everybody that gave uh, as we uh, donated to Shiloh Center, uh, the Emergency uh, Crisis Pregnancy Center. Uh, we did that for Mother's Day and Father's Day, so thank you to everybody that gave for that. Uh, it is going to a very worthy cause of sharing the gospel and uh, working to, uh, to preserve life. And so uh, thank you for that. And so uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll ask him to bless this time. Father God, thank you so much for today. God, we come to you right now and and thank you that we live in a land where we can worship you freely like this. God, I pray that we would not take that for granted. And and God, that we would would work, each of us, to, to represent you in our world. To bring you into the daily life of America however we can. God, we pray for our leaders. We pray for our country. God, your hand has been with us for 245 years, and God, we pray that it continues to to guide us and to be with us. God, we pray that you empower the worship today. Teach us from your word. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We invite your presence. We invite your power. We invite your conviction and your sanctification that you would come and do what only you can do. God, we welcome you. This time is about you. May you be blessed, Lord Jesus. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and worship. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and Nazarene. And wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever. 
Amen. You may be seated. Who in here can tell me how you build confidence? Doing things. You know, I've heard it said that confidence is that feeling you have right before you fully understand the situation. (laughs) No, we we, we do. That's absolutely true. You you build confidence by, you know, in whatever it is, by doing it. And a lot of times I know we like to talk about, you know, God calls us out of our comfort zone. He calls us out of our comfort zone. But, you know, I don't believe we ever really do anything fully outside of our comfort zone. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. Now, can we be, you know, less confident than we want to be going into something? Absolutely. But we build confidence by knowing what we're doing, by understanding the goal of what it is that we're trying to do, and understanding the the process we're about to engage in. And I don't think we ever really engage in something like that until we have at least some level of comfort with doing it. You know, have you ever noticed the better somebody is at something, the easier they make it look? You know, you watch your, your, you know, a musician that's just world-class musician, and they just do this stuff, and you just watch them, and you're like, they make it look so easy. And then, you know, you sit down at the piano or pick up your guitar, and, you know, suddenly it feels like you have, you know, nothing but thumbs on your hand, and, and you're trying to do it, and it just doesn't work. And you're like, wow, how long did they have to do this? Well, the reason they can do it, obviously, is they're comfortable with it. They've, they've rehearsed for so long. They've done it so many times that that instrument has become an extension of them. And, and this, we see this all over in, in life, is that really a whole lot of life is just about building confidence in different areas and engaging in the process of building confidence so that we can succeed or do you know, what we want to do. You know, it's really kind of no different in the Christian faith. Who in here remembers the first time you were asked to pray out loud somewhere? How many of you had a moment of sheer terror? You know, and, and maybe you even didn't do it. You're like, no, no, I, not me. No, you know, no, no. And maybe you're still not, you know, totally comfortable with it. But, you know, if we're a Christian for any length of time, I would think that prayer is one of those things that we should all reach some level of comfort doing. You know, even if it's just with with family and loved ones and friends, but, you know, we're called to pray so much in Scripture that I think prayer would kind of fit into that. We should all have some confidence in doing that. And if we don't, we should work on it. There's no condemnation there, but it's something we should work on. And we see in 2 Corinthians, in this next section, in, in 5, 6 through 10, we see that's exactly what Paul starts to talk about, is how he has built confidence in what he's doing. You know, we, we've seen how, how there's this eternal dwelling, and, and he keeps his eyes focused on the end, as we've talked about. He knows the, the ending that it's going to be, that he's going to have a, an eternal dwelling. And, and even if this body is destroyed, you know, this tent, it's okay because we have an eternal dwelling. And so Paul's at peace there. So how does he take that confidence now 
and translate it into his ministry now. Because if we believe something about the future and we truly believe the gospel that we're going to have eternal life in heaven in the presence of God where there is no sickness and no death, that should have an impact on how we live now, right? It can't all just be about the future all the time because even Proverbs says hope deferred makes the heart sick. If everything is always about tomorrow, then today kind of loses its flavor, right? And that's not what God wants. What he wants is for the hope of tomorrow to give us confidence for today. Confidence to engage in the ministries of God. Confidence to walk in the Christian life. To to make it through the valley of the shadow of death, fearing no evil. That's what God wants for us And so we're going to get a a little bit of a glimpse into Paul's thinking of how he does that. And so look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, going through verse 10. And he says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, this is one of those sections, I think, that sometimes we can just kind of read through it really fast. It's like, okay, yeah, to be, you know, absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. Okay, I got it, and we, and we move on. Have you ever noticed how much of a hurry we get in reading Scripture sometimes? It's like we've got to finish the book so we can get to the next book. Well, this is eternal truth. And so sometimes I think if we slow down just a little bit and really take in what's said, there's some, there's some real depth and truth that can affect our lives now. And one of the things that we see from this that Paul has for us is that we are on mission. Our lives have meaning in the kingdom of God. It's not just about getting to heaven. We're on mission now. And when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and we put our faith in his death and resurrection and become a part of his kingdom, his kingdom, remember this phrase, his kingdom priorities become our priorities. And that means we're on mission for him. We have a job to do. Now, that job may not be quite what you think sometimes. Sometimes that job can be, you know, scary at different moments. Sometimes it can be confusing. Sometimes it can feel overwhelming. But we have this job to do. And so I want you to notice the language Paul uses. He, use, he moves from what he said several times so far is that we do not lose heart. Remember, he keeps saying that over and over. So we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. And he's talking about all the difficulty. But he changed now to the positive. Instead of just not losing heart and being able to withstand, what does he say? He says, so we are always of good courage. He moves from, not really the negative, but, but understanding that there's going to be struggle and there's going to be, be difficulties and we don't lose heart because of it to, he says, but we're always of good courage. It's not just that we can take what the world has to give. It's not just that we can endure the difficulties. We actually are of good courage in what we are doing. 
we have hope and we go boldly into what God has for us. We're always believing God is at work. Now, that can make such a huge difference in life. Think about it. If you genuinely believe in your heart God is always at work in your life and that it's going somewhere good, how's that going to change your thinking? It's going to change it a great deal. You, you can go through each day, even in the midst of difficulty, saying, you know, I'm not going to lose heart, but I'm even going to have hope, and I'm going to be of good courage that something good is coming, that this is going somewhere, that my life has meaning and purpose, and, and God is not being silent just to, you know, to cause trouble or, or, or whatever. And, and so Paul now uses his life that it is about being active, proactive in the mission God has given him. And he says, you know, hey, I'm always of good courage. He says it twice. And he doesn't live his life focused on being on the defensive, but on the offensive of sharing the gospel, of doing the work that God has called him to do. And he believes God has called him to do it. And he states a basic truth. He says, hey, while I'm still here, yes, I am away from the Lord. I am, you know, I'm not in the presence, the physical presence of Jesus in heaven. I have the Holy Spirit. He just said that in the last section. I have the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. I know I'm locked up with God. I'm good there. And so, yeah, while I'm away, while I'm doing this ministry, I know I'm away from the Lord. And to be absent in body is to be present with the Lord. And even, I mean, I love this as a moment of honesty. What does he say? He says, I'd rather be with God. And which of us wouldn't? When we look at how amazing heaven is going to be, then, I, yeah, go ahead. I, I would much rather be experiencing that than this world right now. But Paul also says what? He goes, but we're not. I'm here. I'm of good courage. It doesn't depress him. He just says, so we walk by faith and not by sight. And I love how this is just like matter of fact for him. He, it, this isn't some like great revelation. He just says, hey, I would rather be in heaven. I'd rather be with God, but I'm not right now. So that means I walk by faith. That just means that I believe the truth of God and I walk by it. And that's it. And it's just like a, a matter of fact statement. Now, to walk by faith and not by sight is a huge statement. I love how he just says it kind of in passing right here. Because you see that this is his heart. Like, he's not, he's not trying to create some huge theological argument. He's just saying, hey, this is how I live. And yet, in saying that, this is a statement that is incredibly loaded with meaning. We walk by faith. Of course, walk is a metaphor for live. We live by faith and not by sight. What does he mean by that? He means his decisions his values, everything about what he does in life is based on that which he cannot see rather than what is seen. Now, in Paul's life at this moment, what is it that is seen? Persecutions, hardships, trials, rejection. That's what he sees everywhere. He sees the spiritual darkness of this world. He went to to Athens, and it says he was grieved at the number of pagan temples everywhere and how nobody knew who God was, but they were being spiritual, you know, everywhere. And it was just spiritual darkness, and he was grieved. That's what he sees. And he doesn't live his life based on that. 
He doesn't make his decisions based on what is seen. He makes his decisions based on what is unseen, on the truth of God. And to walk by faith and not by sight means that there are many things in this world that are going to be upside down from what they really are. Now, I want you to remember the words of Jesus where he said, the first will be last and the last will be first. What's he telling us when he says that? He says, what you see is going to lie to you about the nature of reality. What you see is not going to be how things really are. And it's up to us in faith to believe that. Not to be persuaded by the things of the world and the lies of the world and the darkness of the world that things are, are horrible, but to understand the gospel is the greatest force and the greatest story and the greatest thing to ever come into this world and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And we live by that. And so that's why Paul says we're of good courage. You know why he's of good courage? He's on the winning team. He says, I know we're going to win. We've already won. We just have to recruit more team members. That's what our job is now. The game is won. It's settled. Just recruit as many as you can. And declare the victory and live in the victory. And so we have these these sayings in Scripture where they're telling us, I know you've heard it said. He's saying, "I, I know you think it's this way, but I'm telling you it's really like this. The world wants to tell you, Love those who love you and hate your enemy, but I'm telling you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Because that's what's going to really matter. What is it? Things are upside down. The world's going to teach you an upside down view of things. And God turns it right side up, but it's going to look weird. It's going to be out of place. And that's where in the book of James, He says, hey, those of you who are rich in this life, don't think that you're any better than anyone else. In fact, rejoice in your low position in this world. And he says, hey, those of you who are poor, rejoice in your elevated position in Christ. Notice he takes the world and let's just turn it right back where it needs to be. We're all equal in God's sight. Let's not allow worldly separations and divisions to cause us to see things differently. That's what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. Now, in order to do that, we have to have a foundation to draw from to make those decisions. Because we're going to draw from a foundation, right? I mean, so we have to get our information. We have to have a filter in our own lives. Everybody does. It's their worldview. We have to have a filter through which we process information. Do we trust it? Do we receive it? Do we reject it? Is it true? Is it false? We have to have some basis. And too many people think that faith is a blind leap. How many have heard, you know, the blind leap of faith? How many have heard that? You know, that's not true. God never calls us to take a blind leap. You know that? He never tells us to take a... I, I haven't seen nobody in Scripture anywhere that is told to take a blind leap of faith. You know what God does ask us to do? To make an informed leap of faith. Which means God is going to give us just enough to make a decision on. Now think about the heroes of the Bible. Noah. Um, Hey, Noah, 
I'm going to flood the earth. You might want to build this boat. Build it huge. I'm going to, all the animals, they're going to be there. But I'm going to, I'm going to rain. And, and he's going to be like, what's rain? I don't even know what rain is. Because it hadn't rained on the earth to that point. And he says, gonna, heaven's going to open up. This is going to be, build that ark. Now, was that a leap of faith, to, a blind leap of faith to do that? No, God told him exactly what was going to happen and why he needed to do it. What was the leap of faith? Actually building the boat when history had told him what was going to happen was not going to happen. When the culture he was in was so lost and depraved that God said, I've got to wipe it all out and start over again. It was so corrupted. See, the, the, the leap of faith came in and going against culture rather than with it. And so God calls us to have an informed leap of faith. Well, how do we get informed? One, it's right here. We have to know this book. And not in the sense of self-righteousness and and saying, oh, look at all the scriptures I can quote and, and, you know, winning Bible drill. There are like nine people in here that know what that means. Um, It is not, you know, knowledge puffs up, okay? This is not just about us being able to say, oh, well, I know this. It is where we will draw our information from. It is the foundation from which we will walk by faith. And if we don't have the word of God stored in our heart, then we don't have something in the storehouse to draw from when we need to make an informed decision based on faith. That's why the psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He has a foundation from which he draws. He's informed. And what this means is that in this world, when Paul says, walk by faith and not by sight, he also means don't trust your own intuition. Why? Because the heart is deceptive above all things and desperately ill. We cannot trust ourselves to get it right. We have to go to the word of God, which Hebrews tells us is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and is able to discern, to divide between joint and marrow, between soul and spirit. Soul is your own intuition. Soul is your heart. Your mind, spirit, is the spirit of God, and you can learn how to differentiate between the two and know when it's your own flesh and when it's the spirit of God tugging at you inside. Notice, it doesn't say you'll figure it out for yourself. It's going to happen because of the word of God, because of the scriptures. And so when when we approach scripture we need to approach it as we are laying the foundation and we are putting truth into the storehouse of our lives to draw from it later when it's needed so sometimes people will say you know i read the scripture and i just don't hear anything in the moment god doesn't seem to speak to me okay maybe you're not reading it for right now maybe you're reading it for next week maybe you're not reading it for this year but for next year when you're going to need it Trust me, whatever time you spend in the Word, it's going to bear fruit later. We don't know when, we don't know how, but God will use it. And this is how we build confidence 
being on mission from God because we have the right foundation for the ministry that God calls us to. We have the right foundation for the mission, and we know what we're doing. This is a, a, a very familiar passage, Proverbs 3, 5 through 8, but I want you to listen to, to just what it is. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. How many of you love that verse? How many of you have that verse in your house? How many of you, I mean, we, we say that so much, and you know why? Because it's true, and we've got to be reminded of it constantly, daily. We have to remind ourselves, don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord. But what does he say? He says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. What is that? That's being on mission for God. That's bringing God into everything that you do. And he will make your paths, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Solomon here is telling us, he is pleading and saying, trust God over yourself. Trust the truth over your own heart and mind. And when we know what we're doing, we build confidence in what's happening. When we know the truth, the truth gives us confidence to live. But we won't do that if we don't believe that our lives are headed somewhere, that we're on mission. See, Paul was, was Paul on mission? Yes. What was he? He was the apostle to the Gentiles. He knew whatever he was doing, he was going to lead people to Christ and that God had this calling on his life. And he said, you know, this calling wasn't my idea. It was God's. I wouldn't have chosen me, but God did, and by his grace, I am what I am. He understood that, but his life then was spent in service to God. And he said, I'm of good courage. I mean, he had his hard times. He had his difficulties. He had his moments where he was completely broken in it, and yet God brought him through it. And so now he's able to say, you know what? If I die, good. I'm in heaven. I'd rather be there anyway. But since I'm not dead, I'm going to keep serving God and I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. And his life was spent being on mission from God. And what happens in life is we lose confidence in life. Okay, now listen to this. We lose confidence in life because we pursue things other than what God has called us to pursue. And they can even be godly goals. Okay, we can even be pursuing something good in a manner God did not prescribe for us to pursue it. And so if God didn't call us to do it, and we try anyway, y'all know where this is going, it's going to fail. And when it fails, we're going to look at it and say, well, I guess I'm not good enough to do this. Okay, let me just help everybody. None of us is good enough to do what God has called us to do. We only have confidence because we know it's God's mission and it's his spirit and it's his power that enables us to do it. And we have confidence in God and not in ourselves. And once we realize that on anything in life, okay, when I say the ministry, and we're going to get to this in a second, but when I say the ministry, don't think in terms of me and and vocational ministry, okay? We are all ministers of the gospel in our lives. Every single one of us, we all have a mission from God in our lives. 
And we all need to engage that ministry with confidence. But not confidence in ourselves, confidence in God. Confidence that God is going to move and he is going to fulfill that ministry in due time, in whatever way he chooses, but that he is going to fulfill it. Now, what Paul is able to say in this is that he has one goal in life. And I love this. This is so freeing. If, if you will allow this to just reach you today, you will find so much freedom in life. He has one goal. What does he say? He says, wherever we are, at home with the Lord or still apart from him, he says, we have one goal. And what is that? To please him. Notice what he says. He says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. That's his goal. He says, I just want to please God. I want to please God. Whether, whether I'm here, whether I'm in heaven, notice there's no difference there. He's already talked about the qualitative difference in what's going to be in heaven, the building that's eternal, not built with hands. I mean, he's, he's built this huge, you know, elevated view of heaven, which he should. And he's compared it to a tent and, and on earth and how everything's temporary. So I love how in this moment, what do we see? We see Paul say it doesn't matter if I'm in heaven or on earth. My goal is to please him. Notice he has an eternal goal that's not going to change no matter here or there. His life is wrapped up in serving God. How that happens is it requires his obedience. He simply has to do what God tells him to do, and his goal is to please God no matter what. His confidence is found in one simple goal, and that is obey God. He says we make it our aim. I love that. Like, that's what I'm shooting for. And you know what the word sin means in the Greek, hamartia? It means to miss the mark. What does he say? He says, my goal, my aim is to please him. His life's goal now is to what? Hit the mark. Not miss the mark, hit the mark. Friends, that's repentance. That is repentance summed up easily and quickly right there is to go from a life of missing the mark to one of trying to hit the mark. Now, did Paul always hit the mark? No. He even admitted it. What did he do? He called himself the chief of sinners. He says, I'm not worthy to be an apostle. He, he admitted it. He, he said, I'm human, I'm frail. In, in Romans chapter 7, he says, I, I know the good thing that I should do, and, and I want to do it, but I don't. And the very thing I don't want to do, that's what I do. I mean, he just admits the struggle that he has in his flesh, that he, he cannot just conquer sin under his own power. And yet, what was his aim in life? To please So, I want to ask you the question. Is that your aim in life? To please God. You see, if we reduce our life down to one goal, that's going to simplify a lot of things, isn't it? It's going to simplify how we think. It's going to, if, if our goal now in life is to please God, to please Him in everything that we do, 
then that's going to help us make decisions. It's going to help us see what needs to be done. It's going to help us in every single way. But it will also keep him limited in what it is he's willing to pursue. If our aim is to please God, then that should remove a whole lot of things from the equation pretty quickly, right? I mean, anything we know is overtly sinful should now be off the table. Like, this is just something that we are now removing from our lives. It's not something we want to pursue. So now I want to put my pursuits and my efforts into things that are worthwhile. That should clarify life quite a bit, shouldn't it? If our goal is to please Him. And so... This both limits and frees him at the same time. Okay, having one goal like this limits him and frees him at the same time. It limits him in that it keeps him from going after worthless pursuits. In Proverbs 12, 11, it says, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. What is it? He says, look, there are worthwhile pursuits like working your land, being responsible, being, you know, a hardworking person that's going to do the right thing. That's a good pursuit. Worthwhile pursuits, what? You lack sense. You're going to waste your time. You're going to come to poverty. It's going to hurt you. And so wisdom is found in asking this question. Worthless pursuits lead to sin, and sin steals our boldness, and so we have to ask, does this please God? There's wisdom in asking that. And we find the answer where? Here and in prayer as the Holy Spirit convicts us. And you'll be amazed how much Scripture and prayer go hand in hand in helping us answer that question. And so we ask, does this please God? But it also brings freedom to us. Okay, because once we got the, the, the worthless pursuits out of our lives, and we're not going to chase after those, and trust me, Satan wants you chasing worthless pursuits. Okay, he wants a person wasting their life on worthless pursuits. He's the master at getting us to do it. He's been doing it from the beginning. What did he get Adam and Eve to do? A worthless pursuit. Hey, eat that and you'll be like God. They wanted to be like God. Guess what? Being like God in that sense, worthless pursuit. You're never going to be like God. (laughs) Nothing will make you like God. You can't be God. So it's a worthless pursuit to try. And yet people will spend their lives pursuing things that can never be. And that's what Satan wants to happen. And so when we say, does this please God? We can take all of those worthless pursuits off of there. We can extinguish the flaming darts of the enemy, the lies, everything, the deception. We can remove that from our lives so that then we can do what Paul tells us in Colossians 3.17. And I love this. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Don't you love how that just kind of opened up suddenly? It limits him in getting rid of the worthless pursuits. And then he says, hey, in everything that's left, do it to the glory of God. Whatever it is. He lets you choose. He lets you choose. God is like, hey, whatever you do, word or deed, whatever, whatever it is in your life that you choose to pursue, having removed the worthless pursuits, all of this that's left, whatever it is, Glorify God. 
Which means what? Do your best. Strive for excellence in it. Be humble. Make sure that people know that you're doing this for the glory of God, that this is about him and it's his kingdom, that it's, the good, you know, it's, it's for the good of others. You know what's amazing is how many of those worthless pursuits are selfish and how many of the worthwhile pursuits are for the good of others. And so one of the things that we can look at is, it, you know, does this please God, yes or no? If it's yes, then, then we can ask, okay, how do I do it so that it has the greatest impact on others? How do I do this that it has the greatest impact for the kingdom? Does this save lives? Yes, okay, it's a worthwhile pursuit. And when I say save lives, listen, being a Sunday school teacher for an 11-year-old who's asking about Jesus, you're saving lives. You're saving lives. You are. That is a worthwhile pursuit. And so once you determine it's a worthwhile pursuit, do it to the glory of God. Be all in. And trust that God be on mission then. Do you see how this is working? Be on mission within that. That I'm going to glorify God. I'm going to do this to the glory of God. And so what is a worthwhile pursuit? Is your marriage a worthwhile pursuit in the kingdom of God? Absolutely. Do it to the glory of God. Glorify Him in the kind of spouse that you are. Is being a parent to the glory of God a good thing? Absolutely. Do it to the glory of God. Is being a good employee or business owner to the glory of God a worthwhile pursuit? You better believe it. Do it to the glory of God. And give it your best. And be of, and Paul says, be of good courage. We walk by faith, not by sight. It's going to be hard. It's going to be bumpy. But hey, God's in it. You see, that's the great thing, is that if it is a worthwhile pursuit, God is in it. You're not in it alone. When it's a worthless pursuit, that's when God's going to draw back and we get to do it under our own strength and fail miserably. Or even worse, succeed on our own because worldly success apart from God may be one of the worst things that can happen to a person because then we start thinking that we did it we made it we're, we're above somehow we you know God approves and that can be a bad thing and so that's where you're going to find your confidence is in glorifying God in whatever it is that you choose to do Do it for his glory, and you will find the confidence to serve him that he wants you to have. And then what keeps the mission and the goal straight? You know, you ever notice how hard it is to go in a completely straight line? You know, anybody ever tried to paint without a plumb line or something? You look back, you know, I thought I was going straight. You know, it it is. It's difficult. It is hard to, to keep things straight. And Paul put something out here just at the end. And again, it's for him. It's just like, hey, this is just how I live. So he doesn't get into a detailed analysis of it because it's not the point of what he's trying to say. But he throws it in there. In verse 10, he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He says, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You see, if we know in the end we're going to give an accounting 
we're going to be recognized for what we have done. That's called accountability, right? You're a lot more apt to keep things straight. You're a lot more apt to use the plumb line if you know that the boss is going to come in and check your work after you do it. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. He says, I know with what I am doing, I'm going to answer to God for it eventually. Now, a quick show of hands. When you hear of judgment, who in here automatically thinks of something negative? I mean, it's just like, oh, that's going to be bad. That's mm, judgment. It's going to be rough. It's going to be a hard deal. What if Paul didn't think of it like that? And I don't think he did. What does he say? He says whether good or bad. You see, for the believer, what do we know about what Jesus has done for us? What is the chief thing that Jesus has done for believers? Anyone? He died for our sins. He took our sins away. And he said, your sins I will remember no more. So if your sins are forgotten, what is there to judge? If the negative is all removed because of the blood of Jesus, what's left? The positive. This is where God is going to recognize his saints and the work they did in this world in obedience and in faithfulness to his kingdom. This is where he's going to show you, here's what you did. Here's the things that were ignored and unseen on earth that have been shouted about in heaven, and I'm going to let you see it now. You see, for the Christian, judgment is the day of revelation. Of everything that God has been doing and has done through you and through everybody and in his kingdom. And we get to see it all laid out there. And so for for us, for those who are born again, it's not that we're going to stand before God in arrogance and be like, look what I did. We're going to be in awe at what God did through us that we had no idea was happening. And he's going to show us here it is. You prayed for these people in the stillness of of your own heart and on your way to work and you drove and you prayed and I heard that and you had no idea the ripple effect it sent through eternity, but now I'm going to show you. Now, would that make you of good courage in your work if you knew that's what was coming? See, there's a reason Paul says we're always of good courage. And there's a reason he throws judgment in there at the end. And it's not to scare them. He's saying God's paying attention to your work and he's going to reward you. Now, how do we know that? Because Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For we must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Judgment day is the day of reward for God's people. So for those of you who have lived in fear of judgment, one, make sure you're saved. If you are still afraid, and I mean this, if you are still afraid of judgment day, then you need to check your salvation and make sure you are truly born again. Because I'm going to tell you, if you are not born again, judgment day will be the worst day of your life. 
because that's the day you're going to find out that God was real, that Jesus was real, that all of your sins have been recorded, and you get to stand in front of the almighty, holy God and try to explain yourself to him. That will not be a good day. And everyone after that will also be horrible because that is a condemnation to hell. Now, that's not possible. I mean, that's not popular today, but I'm telling you, that is the truth. And so if Judgment Day creates fear and trepidation and a nervousness in your heart, you need to check, am I born again? Have my sins truly been forgiven? And have I placed my faith in Jesus Christ? Because for those who have placed their faith in him, those sins are forgiven, all of them. They're wiped clean, never to be remembered again. God clean the slate. Which means for the rest, those who are born again, judgment day is the day we look forward to. That's the day we get to see it all unveiled. That's the day we get to see it opened up. And so listen to what John says in 1 John 2, 28. And we'll close here. He says, and now little children abide in him, that's be saved, so that when he appears, we may have what? Say it again, with what? With confidence. Say it with confidence. That we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Why? Because we can't be righteous on our own. It's not about us, not about our ability. It's about him. And and if God's righteousness is flowing through you, then that means you have the Holy Spirit, which means you are born again. And you can have confidence even on the day of judgment. You can have confidence in your mission. You can have confidence in your goal. And you can have confidence in your eternity because of what Jesus has done for you. Now, that is a blessed place to be. And so today, we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And I want you to think of it in terms of building confidence. Why do we do this together? Well, because Jesus told us to. He said, do this in remembrance of me. But it's about more than that. This is something that he has told us to do and that the church has done from the beginning in which we remember that Jesus Christ gave his body and his blood as the payment for our sins and it is something we do together in solidarity as the body of Christ remembering the salvation has been purchased for us. And it's something we do together. It's not about any one person other than Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made. It is to remind us in a physical way that we are in fact saved. And that should build confidence for us. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, it should build confidence in our faith in which Yes, I acknowledge Jesus Christ died for me. I acknowledge that he gave his blood as the blood of the new covenant so that my sins would be forgiven. And I have brothers and sisters in Christ that we agree on this together. And so we take this meal together to celebrate it, to look back and remember it, to look ahead to his coming 
where we will have confidence before him and be able to praise God at his coming and not hide from him in shame. And that is what the cross did for us. And so together, we eat of the bread. And we drink of the cup. So today, I want you to go out from here asking, is my life about one goal? Do I have the same goal that the Apostle Paul had of in everything trying to please him? That I am trying to hit the mark this time. My aim is to please him in everything that I do. Start asking that question in everything this week and watch how God moves and changes your life. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you, and Lord, I thank you for each person. And God, I pray that you give us the confidence that comes only from knowing you. God, that you would identify the mission that you have for us, God, that we would, that we would embrace having that one goal, that one aim in life of pleasing you. God, knowing that it's all going somewhere and that Judgment Day is going to be a glorious moment where you are glorified through the work that you have done. And God, we get to be a part of it. God, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray. Lord, as we leave this place, and, and so many will be celebrating across our country today, God, I pray for a renewed expression of your grace on this country. God, a renewed commitment to your kingdom across this country. God, that our hearts would turn back to you. And God, that you would bring about revival. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. Have a happy fourth. Celebrate. Blow stuff up, but be safe. <laughs> the Lord bless you and keep you.